0: speak, O Lord. Let's now turn to our Bible readings this morning. First of all, from John's Gospel, John chapter 13, and we're reading just a few verses starting at verse 31. This is the aftermath of the Last Supper, and Judas had left the room to go on his path of treachery all the way to Gethsemane. So we read, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, <clears throat> before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then turning to the other letter from John, the Revelation from John, verse chapter 21, and we're going to be reading the uh, first few verses there. Building on Lorna's talk and that super talk with the children looking for words of encouragement, looking for words of support. You will get them in this reading. Let's hear a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Amen. May God bless to us these readings from his word. We now proceed as we sing together May the mind of Christ my Saviour.
1: For I... open God's word to us, just uh, would like to say a word of thanks. Um, For those that are maybe joining online or don't know, over the last, um, just over a month, we have had three very close family bereavements, and I just want to take this time to thank all of you for your prayers uh, and your support, for your your cards, for your um, expressions of, of concern and also for the space you've given us in these these last weeks. Um, So uh, thank you for all of that. And um, it is good to be back. It is good to be back. I struggled though in the last days as I was facing this Sunday. Where on earth do I start back? And um, do I just carry on as if as if nothing has happened, pick up where we left off with the story of of, of Joseph and you know stiff up her lip, on we go, or do I go somewhere else? Uh, and so what I decided to do was what I I, I do. I'll let you into a little preacher's secret. There's a uh, a thing called a lectionary, which actually sets down three or four readings for preachers for every Sunday of the year. Now, I don't generally use it. Some churches use it every week to, to pick their passages. I don't. I gen, gen, generally go through a book or, or pick up a theme. Um, but when I'm stuck, when I've got an odd Sunday and I'm not on any theme, it's where I turn to, because otherwise you're sitting with the whole of the Bible thinking, what do I preach on this morning? So, the two passages that Alec read were both ones that were laid down for this morning. And it seemed a safe place to go because you weren't sitting there saying, why has he picked that? That's where it came from. John 13 is the gospel reading, that little passage from the end of chapter 13. And when I looked at it first, I thought, well, there's a very simple place to start. Love one another. Love one another. Be a community of service, of humility to each other. And then Jesus goes on to say, that's how people will know you're my disciples. So not only is this a command for how a church should treat one another and how we should behave in church, it's actually a mission strategy. You know, we have all these these things in, in presbyteries just now in the Church of Scotland. What's our mission strategy to reach out to the world with the love of Christ? And here Jesus gives it this way, love one another. And when people see what the church does and how it looks after one another, then they'll say, there's something going on there. I want to know more about that because I can see something of the servant heart of Jesus in it. That's who we are and what we are to be about, love one another. But you know the thing is, when you start reading a Bible passage and you think there's a simple theme, it always knocks you off course. Because the Bible deals with life in all of its complexities, and you almost can't read a passage Of of scripture, without it taking you to places that maybe you didn't want to go. The context of this passage is important. Alec alluded to it as as he read it. Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. That's how he's showing what love is. It's that self-abasing, I don't mind if this is humiliating, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get down in the dirty and the messy, and I'm just certainly going to serve you. But the setting is also an upper room, the night before Jesus was betrayed. John actually opens chapter 13 by saying this, it was the day just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so as Jesus is talking about love and how the church should love and how it should show in its mission strategy, that that's how you're a disciple. There's another thing going on here, the shadow of when that is. They're in an upper room, no doubt, on the table. There were the bread and the wine that the other gospels explained to us Jesus broke and shared with them as He spoke about His body and blood. It was in that place as they dipped the bread into the wine that He was betrayed that He told them that Judas would go out from there and He would lead the soldiers. It was there that the prediction would happen, that that very night Peter would deny him. And then he would be gone. And Jesus was preparing them for all of that. And in fact, if you read John's Gospel, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, all are that night. Jesus giving what the scholars have called the farewell discourse, the final instructions of how they were to cope when he was dead. How they were to cope when he wasn't there. What it was all about and what the meaning of it all was. How they were to cope even beyond the resurrection as they fumbled in that new world that they found themselves. But he didn't just start with those five chapters. It was before that. That was chapter 13, chapter 12. He He'd proclaimed and predicted that he was going to die. Chapter 11, he'd stood at the tomb of Lazarus and said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Chapter 10, he said he was a good shepherd. What would the good shepherd do but he would give his life for the sheep? So, we might have come to this passage, and I might have wanted just to talk a nice sermon about love this morning, and how we should love one another and show it to the world, but Scripture puts it immediately into the context of Jesus' death. And in fact, Scripture's a bit like that. When you're trying to avoid a subject, it keeps bringing you back to it. It keeps bringing you back to it because it knows that we live our lives in the shadow of our mortality— Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Scripture, I I can't say this enough, but the more I read it, the more I find that not only are these the true words of God that lift us into that spiritual place, they are rooted and grounded in life. The one thing that I can be sure about is this through these last impossible weeks, there are times when I have been very angry with God. There have been times, and I don't know that ministers are supposed to say this, but I will, that I have found it impossible to pray. Have you been there? But I do know this. If our faith can't robustly speak into our mortality and into our grief, then it is worthless. If it's just escapism that we can get back to singing some songs and feeling happy and pretending that life hasn't got those tough things in it, then I give up. And so should you. If we are to love one another, then we need to speak honestly to one another about the hearts of life and be able to speak words, encouraging words, as Lorna was saying, but words that actually speak a reality. And if we want people to see that we're His disciples, then yes, we need to engage with society and politics and the environment and poverty and all these issues, but it's irrelevant if we've got nothing to say in the face of our mortality and the unfairnesses that come with that, and what it all seems to mean. Jesus was very blunt about it in in verse 36. It, 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 It brought me up sharp just when Alec read it there. You cannot come with me now, but you will follow later. That just says it all. You cannot come. You cannot follow. What's about to happen is going to divide us, And you won't be able to find me. The finality of death. But you'll come later. The realization of mortality. But. 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 There's also hope, isn't there? A glorious hope. And that's where this passage started. As Jesus began to speak about this, He started to say, this is the time that the Son of Man will be glorified. This is the time that God will be glorified because God is about to do something in this death and this resurrection that is about to take all of that pain and all of that fear and transform it into hope. That's why for Christians, faith is Easter. You know, I love Christmas. It's become very special to us, hasn't it? We've built it up over the years with all the traditions and the trees and all else we do. And sometimes Easter can feel like the poor relation, but actually for the Christian, Easter was always the big festival Because at Easter, we see that Jesus doesn't just stand over the tomb of Lazarus and say comforting words about the resurrection that's to come. At Easter, Jesus rises from the dead and the world changes for everything. Easter points to that hope that we have that one day this verdict of grief and death will be reversed, the sure and the certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life the new creation that's to come, the revealed hope that Alex read for us from Revelation, that glimpse of that day when the dying and the pain will end and God will restore all things. This has to be the center center of our faith. Paul puts it very clearly in, in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says, if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised, then the cross has no point, then there is no forgiveness. And what the hang are we doing then, folks? if this isn't true. But, of course, Paul's conclusion after that sobering realization of how hopeless it would be is, but Christ is indeed risen from the dead and is alive. It's why at Easter we say Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, hallelujah. You know what? I missed that. Not been here over the Easter period. It's the highlight, I have to say, of of my year most years. Of standing before the people of God on the Sundays after Easter and saying, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. But let me make a confession. This Sunday, this Easter Sunday rather. I, I, I crept into church. I came in the back and sat at the back. And I did it with a trepidation, not just that it would be difficult for me, but I was dreading something. I was dreading that some rotten minister would do what I normally do on Easter Sunday, would stand up with a big smile and tell everybody how happy this all was, how fantastic this was that Christ was risen, that we should all be joyful and happy and smiling because everything was going to be fine because Christ has risen. And I remember coming into church on Easter Sunday thinking, if that's what I hear, I'm going to want to run away. It wasn't. And I'm very grateful to Dorothy for the service she took. It was a fantastic service. If I ever preach, though, that happy, 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 clappy Easter service, just run away. I hope I'll never do that again. Why is that? Because as fantastic as, as hopeful as this Easter news is, and it, it should be, we should sing songs of joy about it, but we should also sing it through that realization that it only comes through the grief and the loss. And the Gospels themselves are, are very, very clear about this, you know, one of the things is sometimes our preaching is pastorally insensitive. I've no doubt I've preached sermons which have left people hurting. But see, when you read the Gospels, they are always sensitive to the realities of life. You know, they give this joy of the empty tomb and the glory of Easter. But what do you get when you read the Gospels? Mark chapter 16, the women come to the tomb. They find that it's empty. They're told by the angels that Jesus is alive. Then they walk away and say nothing to anybody because they are afraid. Of the end. See what that does. It leaves us with the news that Jesus is alive but disciples still get it wrong and aren't sure and are scared. Is that real? That's real. Or John, Jesus is alive. We have the story and then we have Peter going fishing because he doesn't know what to do next. racked with guilt because of all that he's done as a failed disciple. Is that real? my experience. Or, or, or Matthew and Luke, which both tell us that Jesus is alive, and for 40 days, he spends time with them. He walks with them. He talks with them, and all, all life's narrow way, and all of that, you know, and then he leaves them. He ascends to heaven, and he's at the Father's right hand, but you know what? He's not here in that same physical form. He has to tell them and reassure them, I'm with you always till the end of the age, because they're going to find times very often where it doesn't feel like that. Is that real? Because it is for me. There is still, even after the resurrection, an incompleteness, an understanding in Scriptures that, yes, this glorious hope we have, but that doesn't mean it's all easy. That doesn't mean there's not tears and difficulties right now. We still wait for the day where the tears and the dying and the suffering will end. They're not here yet. Easter is the first fruits. Easter is the time where God guarantees that that's the end of the story. But it's not here yet. There are times when it seems our prayers bounce off heaven's walls. There are times when it fears he's not here. There are times where we feel broken and that we've blown it. And the world and its suffering are overwhelming. One day, of course, it'll all make sense. But in the meantime, the broken people still witness to what God has done living in hope. And so we have this passage which starts off with that glory of what God is about to do, but that nagging question, how am I going to cope when He's not here? How am I going to cope? And Peter's got all these lovely words. I, I'll cope fantastically. I'll be with you. I'll never let you down. Well, we know what happens. In the shadow of betrayal as well. And into that, Jesus says this. To return to the start again. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Now, the first thing that struck me was, as I read that, a new commandment I give to you. How is this a new commandment? This commandment is as old as Moses. Quite literally, Leviticus 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, you're wrong. You don't know your Bible. How do you think this is a new commandment? This is plagiarism. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as as I have loved you." Now, at one level, that lifts it to a new type of service, that humility of foot washing, which is what he's just done. Not asserting our rights, demanding our place, but actually serving each other. But there's more to it than that, remember? As he started to wash their feet, Peter got it that it was about serving one another, and he said, well, let me be the servant, not you serving me, let me serve. I can love people. I can wash one another's feet. I can do that. And Jesus says, no, that's not what it's about. It's not just about you washing one another's feet. you doing all the good works. It's about you having the humility to let me wash your feet, to come and know your need of me, and then going to wash and serve other people. This is a community, not just where we do good stuff, but where we are humble enough to know that we need Jesus because if we don't have him, then we've got nothing, and we've nothing to say, and we've nothing to do, and we're just doing ethics, and being nice, and well, there's plenty of humanists doing that, and some of them are doing it better than us, and when Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, he didn't mean, well, you know, there's something to be getting on with just now until that day comes when I I take away all the tears, and, and everything's fine. I don't think that's what he meant at all. You see, the next question that we have is, this resurrection that's to come, what will it be like? You ever asked that question? What will this heaven be like that we're going to spend all eternity there? Because I'll tell you, if it's singing songs all day, I want to know what the other options are. Well, maybe I don't. But when the Bible talks about the life that's to come, it increasingly says, as I read it, It's actually, in many ways, just like the one we've got. The nearest we've got to, of course, is the resurrection stories themselves. Jesus had come through death, and then he was with them, transformed by resurrection. Recognizable. It doesn't tell us an awful lot about resurrection, but one of the things it does tell us is, is he liked fish suppers. (laughs) Because that's all they seem to do, isn't it? Eat together. And that tells me one thing. Whatever this is like, it's, it, it's like having food. It's like it is now. Having food together. Having people together. You know, when it talks about the creation that's to come, we, we wonder what's that new creation like? And God says, well, I, I made it a creation already, and you saw it, and I said it was good. Remember it? It's out there. Now you know what I mean when I say creation. So what do you think the new creation will be like? So every time we look at a sunset, every time we look at flowers, every time we see the wonders of science, we are seeing what is pointing to all that is promised. But there's a difference. For in this new creation there will be no fighting, there will be no tears. The love that we experience now, which is very real, will be complete. Our relationship with God, which we can have right now as we become His people, but is somewhat incomplete because He is distant, they will not be distant anymore. They will know He will be their God and they will be His people. The world we have just now is not perfected. But we are called as we love one another and show the world that love in a sign to show a foretaste of what that will be like the church at its best is called to show people a foretaste of all that god offers now of course we get that wrong the church has sometimes been cruel abusive Violent. We've all got scars on our backs for when it's not been what it is, and some people have very deep ones. But we're called in Jesus, in all our imperfections, to live now, pointing to the hope that we have. And that, I believe, is what lets us get on with it in the midst of grief and a broken world. A world transformed by resurrection full of hope for now amidst tears and pain and doubt and struggle and denial and betrayal but pointing to what God has achieved in Jesus Christ and will someday reveal I believe in the resurrection of the body the communion of saints